0: and welcome to Round 16 episode for 2019 of Ref's Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hello, Gavin.
1: Hey, Case. Origin Eve. So, yeah, everyone's excited. we got one more sleep and we get to, you know, go out and witness what is, you know, probably... When it comes to rugby league, one of the greatest encounters when you have a you know a third game that's a deciding game to, to you know decide a reasonably competitive Origin series. I know we had a, a bit of a blowout in the second game, but that just you know I've spoken about a lot at the NRL level. how you only have to be off a touch and you can get blown away, and that seemed to be what happened in in Origin two where. Queensland might have been down a touch, and New South Wales were at the best they could be, and you saw you know a bit of a a, a gap in the scoreline.
0: Yeah, that dominating performance. Yeah, just over 24 hours to go, so it's definitely an exciting time. The weather's cleared up a bit in Sydney, so we should be primed for a, a great game. Like I said, I think I, th- I think it will be um, a bit of a closer scoreline. It's it's not often that you get um, a team dominate on the scoreline two games in a row in Origin.
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not often that you get a team dominate the scoreline, really, especially, yeah. in, you know, of late. And you look over the last couple of series and, you know, even though, even when Queensland were dominant for, for all that time, if you broke down the score break up over those series, there was only, you know, two, three tries in, in the whole series, difference between the two sides. So, although, yes, Queensland knew how to get the job done, it's not... and they dominated winning the series for a long time, they didn't dominate those games of football. They were pretty tight competitive games all the way to the end in every one of that long 10-year stretch. So... You know, it, it, it's really exciting times. I can't wait.
0: Yep, and exciting times for the referees um, going into that match as well. So um, good for Jerry Sutton and Ashley Klein who have been retained for all three games of this series um, in the middle, and on the touchline, Nick Beachall done all three games, and good to see uh, Chris Butler back on the touchline after um, unfortunately having to withdraw from um, game two due to injury. He's managed to to get back in time for this, which is is great for him.
1: Oh, it's awesome for Bucky and he deserves all the accolades. He's one of the guys that works hard and you know, and, and does his best week in, week out. So when, when those rewards come you don't want to miss him through injury. So the fact that he's been able to get back pretty quickly is a testament to him and our, our coaching stuff.
0: Yep. Um, so round sixteen, short round, we only had the four games and um, despite it being during the origin period where, you know, some people can say that we're down on, on players or the quality of games dip um you yeah, know we can we can hear that uh, occasionally uh i thought it was a pretty good round of football to watch and um you yeah, know a lot of that is is um because of score lines you look at the score lines and the biggest margin of the weekend was an 8 point um you know difference in the tigers and, and roosters match and every other game was you know 4 points and and 2 points in, in it but um still created a lot of um free-flowing sort of football, continuous football in that there were some fairly high completion rates and fairly quick play-the-ball speeds, especially for this time of year and the weather that we'd had.
1: Yeah, and, and... The product on the field's great, but I love the product off the field that we get around this time. You see the emotion, you know, and we're fortunate enough in this day and age to have the technology where we get to see inside the dressing sheds and inside the, the jersey presentations for players and seeing some of the ones over the weekend, you know, it, quite emotional. And, you know, we often talk about it, how much we love that side of the game to see those kids when they get their debut. You know, I'm, so, I'm getting a little bit emotional now, thinking about, you know, different times in my career where, where I've had that where, you know, you get presented and your family and stuff are there and the people that, you know, sort of sacrifice a lot for you to to achieve be able to take a part of that. So seeing those young kids get their debuts, and there was quite a few over the weekend, and, you know, to to see that raw emotion of those kids, you know, in in tears in front of their peers um, just shows how much it means to them to be able to get that opportunity and all their hard work and sacrifices has come to the fore. So, you know, these short rounds or these rep rounds where, you know, a lot of our stars are out of the NRL competition, um, it gives us a great opportunity to see the raw emotion of our young superstars on the way through.
0: Yeah, and they all s- stepped up, so it shows that quality and some depth that we do have. There's always a discussion there as to whether, um, you know, we have the depth for expansion into the future and things like that. Well, every time some, one of these kids gets to step up, um, you know they've they've taken it with two hands and performed really really well. Even guys like a, a Billy Walters, you know, not a young kid, but debuts and handled it. Fact- oh, you, you yeah. wouldn't have noticed that it was his debut, would you? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's good times. It, and the good thing about when it is these short rounds, they only have to come up and do it for one, maybe two games. It's not like they have to come in and do a whole season. These young kids where they can get burnt and you know can, you know the the pace and the speed of the NRL can you know take its toll on them. They come to do it for one or two games, so. People can see. Say- they can handle that level. It's now okay. Let's give them the resources to continue to do that week in week out. So yeah, it's, it's a good time.
0: So our GPS data from the weekend. Um, a familiar name for our marathon runner this week was um, Ziggy at eleven and just under eleven and a half kilometres as the assist referee in the Broncos in the Sharks and Broncos game on Sunday afternoon out there at um, in, in Cronulla. A fairly high completion rate in in that game, and again fairly quick play the ball speeds. Both teams were under three and a half seconds for that match. Um, you know, relatively low error and pen- penalty count in that game as well. So, you know, conducive to, to racking up those kilometres.
1: Yeah, Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah. Um, our urgency award this week is very a, a very high um, number goes to one of our touch judges, Ricky McFarlane, and he hit, he hit our high accel D-cell speeds 155 times as the touch judge in that Dragons and Storm game on Thursday night. Um, so, again, you look at the – I think both play the ball speeds were under three and a half seconds. Um, you know, completion rates were hovering around the 80% mark. Um, and, again, relatively low low error count as well. And uh, watching that game on, on TV, um, as much as it wasn't a high score line, which we say – you know, can rack up kilometres for touch judges, there would have been a lot of movement, there was a lot of ball movement in that game.
1: And and Rick's, you know, he's a bit of a busy bee out in the field too, like he likes to move around and he's quite fit and agile, so um, you know, we're only just starting to have um, the opportunity to put GPS's on more of our touch judges now, so um, as, as we build through this, I'm sure that this is going to happen more regularly with guys like that because of the movement patterns that they do on the sideline, mm. and the guys that have the really um, high top end speed and move really quick, like um, like Rick, will continually be you know up aroundabouts for these awards.
0: Yeah, and um, well, on, on that note, our Gazelle of the Week goes to another touch judge. Um, again, you know, starting to get some GPS units on onto our um, full time touch judges. Um, he clocked just under 29 kilometres an hour as a touch judge. In that same game, Dragons and Storm on um, on Thursday night. Uh, we've got quite a few, not quite as many as last week, but a <laughs> couple of issues that we wanted to to talk through out of out of round sixteen. Um, once again, there was a f- quite a few talking points out of out of games, even though there was only the four games this weekend, and one of them involved a game that. That you were in as the assist referee in the uh, Newcastle and Warriors game on Saturday evening up in uh, up in Newcastle. Yeah, this where, stuff
1: seems to follow me, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> uh, where Peter Hiku um, had a head knock, um, and later so th- then the pl- play continues and um, play the ball occurs, and then Newcastle um, score a try. And there's been some uh, some discussion around it, both. Uh, you know, for and against what what occurred on on the field. We've heard some commentary of people who thought uh, the game should have been immediately stopped and people who think, no, no, it shouldn't have been. So we thought we'd sort of um, talk through uh, what occurred and why on field um, the game went the way that it did. So
1: Yeah, yeah. And and like I said, uh, it's been publicly put out there that we should have stopped the game and, and that's fine. In, in hindsight, we should have. Um, the situation on the field for, for that was that uh, Peter Hiku comes um, reeling out of the tackle and I, I actually see him hit, hit the deck. Um, so I sort of start to watch him. The ball actually then got, you know, by the time I sort of start to make an assessment, the ball is actually passed past okay. me.
0: So, so I'll just stop, there. I'll, I'll stop you along the way to ask a few que- yep. questions here. So first of all, from um the head referee in front of the ball if you have a player going down to make the a tackle who's going down around the legs or around the hips are you looking at his head placement as such no
1: no we're generally looking at a uh, ball. We're looking at. We've got other defenders in there. We're looking at contact. Yep. So and our major thing is, is is where the contact is made. You know, if we've got a high tackle and foul play on the ball. Carrier. And then and then well, and the ball being dislodged as uh-huh. well. So we've got we've got a couple of facets that we have to look at there.
0: And then as the assist ref from behind, um, I guess same same question. It's a very so,
1: similar, but from a different angle. Yep. So I'm now looking, and I'm also once there's you know numbers in the tackle, I'm also looking at players coming in you know, to the cannonball-style tackle. So if there's players lurking around to then assist the referee to call held because he's on the ball and making sure nothing happens in there. So I can have that peripheral around what's happening around that ruck as well.
0: As well as obviously that high focus on on ball. We say that's that's priority number one. Okay, so uh, sitting at home watching the game, uh, it's a lot easier to see, oh, geez, that player put his head in the wrong spot. Uh, Can't can't you see that he put his head in, in the wrong spot? Well, from an officiating point of view...
1: It's difficult. We do it, see it sometimes. Yeah. I'm not going to say that we never see that because sometimes you do. Yeah. You just have a clear look but at one But it's not the
0: tackle. primary – your focus is very much on a, another spot. Yeah. Okay. So Peter Hiku goes in, puts his hand in the wrong spot, cops a head knock, starts to reel out of the tackle. At that same time, the ball is passed. Okay. So the ball is passed. What are the risks? You, you, so your job is then to do what when the ball's passed?
1: Well, I've got – clear the contact of the guy that's passed the ball. Obviously, someone's got to make sure that he's been cleared and not held back or not um, yep. fouled. Um, then I've got to, in, that, in the field position that this was in, it's an attacking field position, I've then got to get in a position to assist with escort plays. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we've got, you know, got lead runners running through. We've got catch of where the ball is caught and stuff. Mm-hmm. There is a delay between when Peter Hiku comes out the back and when the... Um play the ball is made, so there is some time to make a quick assessment there. So, if Peter Hiku is sprawled out and unconscious, mm. the decision is a lot easier to stop the play right there,
0: so laying out on his back or completely on his, on yes. his front okay, yeah. so balls passed out, um, you clear the ball carrier who passes the ball to make sure that they're not uh, you know taken out, and then your focus has to has to shift, so you get an inkling that okay, Peter Hoku's come out of that tackle, but yes, he 's not um, laying flat on the ground. Uh, your focus then has to shift because the risk of not shifting your focus to follow that ball, to look at a player on the ground, is missing something in the upcoming play. So it's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yep. We follow – our job is to, to follow the ball. So you follow the ball. Uh, ball gets passed out and then, and then a tackle occurs. And then what happens from there? What do you say?
1: Yeah, so I, I see that um, Peter Hicko's on, on his haunches, yeah. so sort of starting to get up. So we have. Sort the, of kneel
0: in a yeah, bit of yeah. a kneeling, crouching sort but, of position.
1: Yeah, but he, yeah, he's, he's he's not up or anything like that, but he's kneeling over. And we have a, um, a uh, coach up in the box. So
0: our match day coach. Who can
1: oversee the whole ground. So I sort of mentioned him, can you keep check on Peter Hiku? Because if he falls back down or whatever we can then get across.
0: So, so that's a standard practice for us as touch judges or referees. If a player is down injured and we know that they're going to be out of our peripherals or we've got something else to monitor. So if I'm the touch judge and I see a player's gone to ground, I go, well, I've got to keep watching this ball because it could be a knock on, there could be a high tackle, there could be a kick yes. and after to rule on kick chase. Yeah, keep yeah.
1: play's still going.
0: Play's still going. So we say watch watch him or if we know, you know, if we've seen which player it is, you know, watch in this case, if it was Peter Higu, watch Peter Higu, and that's a tip to the match day coach and even to the bunker to keep an eye on that yes. person to then let us know if we need to. Well, because there's stop m- the game. many
1: factors. Because the injuries could be differing things. So he, he it could be concussion, which it was in this case. It could be a head knock, um, which we need to stop the, the game immediately. Um, it could be the fact that he gets up late. There's nothing wrong with him, and he's going back. In the defensive line, and he could make a tackle from yep. an offside position. So someone needs to monitor him in that way. So there's, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons why why we we monitor him that way. And in in a situation that isn't concussion, that's the perfect sort of yep. scenario for us to, to, to um, officiate.
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So in this case, um, your you tip, okay, watch him. So you've got an idea that a player is down injured, but not necessarily that he is concussed. Something's something's happened. It might be concussion or it might be a bit stunned from a tackle or it could be injured, I'm not sure, because I've got an hour follow play.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and, and I did have the, all those in inco- yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, is it concussion? I'm thinking, is it a burner? Yeah. because you know, of the way you were sort of slouched over. So sometimes you hold your shoulder and, you know, you know, I'm not completely sure what it was. We've also got to take into account the game situation. Well, you've got, you know, it's the back end of the game. It's a tight game. You've got Newcastle attacking the line as well. And if, I, you know, and like I said, in this case it isn't. But if I was to stop the game there and then to play out the back with a cramp, we've then got the Newcastle side sort of up in arms saying, well, you've you've stopped our momentum. So there's a lot to factor in. in, the, in you know, in, it looks like a lot of time when you sit at home and watch it on TV. But it's a, a split. Um, yeah, fraction of a second where we've yeah. got to make these assessments.
0: Yep. Okay, so then the ball is played. Peter Hickou stays down, sort of crouched down. At that stage, the game can't be stopped. So when you say the game stops immediately, well, it's not... Once, once, once yeah, played once, yeah, once the tackle Yeah, once the tackle is complete. That's the next tackle. Yeah. Um, but we don't get a next, next tackle. Um, not from only, that one, no. yeah, There's a ball pass, only Metaudio runs, scores a try. Um, so that's, I guess, how that unfolded. Um, can like you said, it's a difficult situation on the field because there are so many factors to consider, and you're not looking at um, it, it, as, as much as I think there was some commentary on the game around. Oh well, Gavin Bad just standing right there and he's looking at Peter Hiku. How does he not know that he's concussed? Well, yeah. I guess to yeah, talk, well, talk us through well,
1: that. Well, yeah, I have inkling. Yeah, you know, I do have some thoughts that it may be concussion, but I also have thoughts that it may be something else. Yeah. It probably weighs more to the concussion side than, than the other side, but the fact that he's not on the ground and he's on his haunches and, and you know, he, he he's sort of halfway up and then he eventually – well, by the time I look back when the, um, uh, after the play of the ball to see if he's still down, he's actually sort of standing to his feet. So that's post the, the next play of the ball, so there's not much we could have done there anyway. But, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a decision that you make on the run – Thinking what's best for the game Where, you know, in hindsight And, and you look back at it and you go Well, the selfish thing is to just stop it straight away
0: Well, it's hindsight well, when, in hindsight You know he was, no, was he had, concussed He, he yes. was concussed yes, But if we look back at it With a hindsight of someone Of him having, a like you said He had a burner Made a tackle and jammed his shoulder or something Then in hindsight would look back and go Oh, we shouldn't have stopped that
1: Yeah, so. yeah. so from from behind yeah. Like you say before it's, it, it, I have no idea um, what happens to him yeah. Because um, I've got defenders and stuff, so I, I don't see the initial um, contact. But the way he reels out and that, I, ha- I do, I do have some thoughts that it may be. But like I said, I'm not, I'm You're not, not sure. certain. And the fact that he's not in the in the way of play was the the main factor, and the field position yep. was the main factor in me, you know, uh, not, by. not, yeah, not asking the referee to stop the game. Yep.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully um, that answers a couple of questions for for listeners. We had a, a couple of listeners tweet to us a, about that incident, um, so hopefully that sort of explains, I guess, the processes of of what we are looking at um, on the field um, and and what we take into cons- consideration. I guess the other thing that we didn't mention there is take it, that we take into consideration where the player is. So, say Peter Hooker was right in the ruck and was going to be in the way. There's probably a higher likelihood that you might stop play but the fact that he's out the back and out of the road um, might lead to to playing on because you because you've got more time to assess it with a player being out out the back compared to in the middle of the ruck in the road yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah.
1: It, it was a difficult one and um you know everyone can make their own opinions about it but at the end of the day I I made a call that I thought was right for the game at that stage and you know other people have have proven that to be the wrong one.
0: Um, So there were a couple of other incidents this weekend that we just wanted to touch on. So there was an escort penalty towards the back end of the game in the Dragons and Storm game um, where, oh, I can't even remember which. So uh, one of the Dragons players moves laterally and blocks a Melbourne player, um, which essentially leads to a, a... Goal being uh, a goal being kicked there, and there was some commentary around how subtle the movement may or may not have been. Did it constitute an escort, um, and so on? And if we go back a number of weeks ago, we had a um, a large episode of one of these podcasts. Um, directed towards talking through escorts and it was in the Dragons and Manly game down at Wynn Stadium as well. A similar situation in that it was a tight scoreline and in that scenario, a penalty wasn't awarded and um, Daily Cherry Evans questioned the referee and the commentary around it was that if the penalty had been awarded, Manly would have been able to kick for goal, level the, the game and, 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 you know, be able to go into golden point and potentially win that game. So I guess in this scenario... Um, the penalty was awarded and and correctly so and yes it's a big decision because it had a big impact on the match but it's the right decision and it would have been as equally a big decision had the referee not awarded the penalty um but it would have been a big decision which was incorrect
1: yeah and exactly right and that's why you know in, in these situations we have to just be to the purity of the law and in, in this one it would have been a big call and the guys when they make this um this, this decision and stand there with their arm in the air, know that it's it, it's a, a big call in the context of this game. But um, at the end of the day, the training and the hard work and the positioning they get themselves into allows them to make what was a correct decision in in you know the battle of the you know the heat of the moment. So um, it's all credit to those guys out there that you know they got the job done.
0: Yep. Um, another one which was a talking point this weekend was a charge down in the West Tigers and Roosters game, or one that was deemed as not. As not played at, um, which uh, gave a change of possession because it was after the last play of the ball, which gave a change of possession around the sort of 40 metre line. And um, that was deemed as being incorrect, that it was in fact a charge down. And it was one of those ones that was a, a bit different to usual in that the way we normally see a charge down is that a player has a change of gait in that they stick a leg out or they jump or they stick an arm out and block that path of the ball. Um, but there's another aspect to the charge down law, which is a lot more difficult on field to rule on, and that was um, that was shown in this instance where the player runs and uh, was it Victor Radley? Uh,
1: yeah, I think it was. Um,
0: yeah, Victor Radley runs and does what is deemed as runs through the path of the ball. So when you look at what he does, there's no, uh, I guess outcome for a player doing that apart from blocking the path of the ball. Because he's not going in to make a tackle. Yeah. And there's no other reason for him to be running the line that he's running with that aggression and speed. Not that there's anything wrong with with what he he can do. He's absolutely allowed allowed to do that. But by blocking the path of that ball, running through the path of the ball, as it's rising from the foot, um, that's deemed as played out. And it's one of the harder ones for us to get.
1: It is, especially those ones because, like you say, there's no – well, in this one, when you when you break it down and slow it down, you know, there's with technology, jump. there's a small jump as, as the ball sort of strikes him. But live, that's very hard to pick up because you're just looking at a bloke sort of taking – because in this one, he sort of starts to take evasive action as well, so he's turning his back. Mm-hmm. He's not he – yeah, you know, the easy one of these ones is when they just run completely straight through the path of the ball yeah. and don't do anything. Well, this one, he's turning his back, so he's almost taking... You know, it's it look rea- like
0: he's trying not to play it. He's
1: almost realising, well, I'm not going to get there. If I turn, I, you know, I, I, I might get a win here. Um, and that, that's what happens by that evasive action. It makes it, you know, very difficult for the referees to make an, a, an adjudication on it, which they come up with, the, you know, they call not played at, and unfortunately, this one, it, it, it was.
0: Yep. Um, the... Last talking point from this weekend which I wanted to touch on was the again it was from the Newcastle and Warriors game and it was a try which was incorrectly disallowed to Ken Mamalo. Um, and Graham Manersley spoke about it in his Monday briefing yesterday and I think the way he described it was um, was you know made a lot of sense in when people asked you know why did the bunker get that That wrong. How did they get that wrong? Was adding was that his thoughts were that they added a level of confusion to it by looking at a different camera angle. So there's a try. Adam G sends it up to the bunker as a try. Um, The first angle which comes back to the bunker is the one that we've all seen that sells it as a try that says yes, he's grounded that ball. They then bring in another angle from side on, which casts some doubt on it, and. By casting that doubt, that's then taken them down another, another avenue which has led them to no try. And what Graham has said is when they look at one a- that angle and see that it's a try, there should be no reason to bring in that secondary angle, which it, can start some confusion. Well, that's what, well it, it creates doubt. Yeah. The
1: second angle, when you watch the second angle, you sort of look at it and go, <laughs> that, you know, that doesn't look great. But when you, you look at it from the front-on angle, it... Um, it shows that there's still fingers on the ball. So, yeah, you can create yourself some doubt in your own mind and that, like we talk about a sterile environment, so you're not part of the game, you're sort of in in a sterile environment. You can get sort of tunnel vision and focused on the one thing and and not take everything into account. Yeah,
0: and um, then some questions were were asked around um, how much weight is put on the live decision of the on-field officials. So when we send it up as a try or no try... uh, how much of that weighs into the bunker's uh, ultimate decision? Um, do you want to sp- speak a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so when we first went to you know the um, referees on field having a live decision, it was um, based around the fact that a lot of calls would come back to refs' call. We've spoken about this before. It would come back as refs' call and then we'd have to make that decision on the ground anyway. So if we th- set one up, the... Um, Bunker well, at that stage it was video ref, but now the bunker officials, um, at least had a starting point. So it, it, instead of, you know, trying to find a decision, they had a starting point. So unless there was, we looked at a sufficiency test, so, you know... Um, was s- there sufficient, sufficient evidence, evidence to overturn what the referee's decision was? So it made it a little bit easier for those guys in there um, to sort of lend some weight to what the referee had seen on field. So that's where we went to. Um, this season we've sort of pulled that back a little bit and sort of they don't really have to have that sufficiency as long as they've got the evidence Mm. they just go with whatever's in front of them the 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 live decision comes back to when they don't have any evidence Mm. so it's it's generally going to be in groundings when you've got numbers in and a lot of bodies in there and you can't see the ball um, or the angle is the, the angle that's going to show you what the decision is, is blocked by a cameraman, a touch judge or an official or yep. a player where they just don't have any footage of, of what's happened. So then we'd go back to what the, the referee's live yeah. call was.
0: So I guess when we first started doing it, it was a bit of um, l- let's look for an angle which supports that on-field decision. Yep. So if there were two angles that – if we took this one, for example, um, and there were two conflicting angles – you'd look at that side-on-one and go, well, that supports... If the referee, say in this case, if the referee had sent it up as no try, then they would have looked at the side-on-angle and go, okay, well, that supports that yeah. potential. Like, yeah, that, that, that's So There's a little bit that? of a shift in how much weighting sh- is given to the live decision.
1: Well, especially now the fact that we've got the bunker there and, and you control your own destiny in there. Mm-hmm. So in the past... Um, the TV directors gave you the angle. So as a a video ref before we had the bunker, we had to ask for angles. Mm. So I was like, oh, I need an angle from the side or I need this one. And sometimes the directors weren't rugby league people as well so they weren't sure what you were talking so it took four or five camera angles before you got the right one sometimes you didn't get the one you needed and you know they'd play the one after the decision had been made that was the one that would have shown the decision so we sort of had to rely a bit more on it now we sort of you know masters our own destiny in there so we have control of, of what angles we're seeing in the bunker so yeah, you know, we're more likely to be get be getting the the angles we need quicker. Yeah,
0: yeah, and to, ha- to have that evidence there to for the bunker to make those decisions. So on that note as well, um, just a little mention of the bunker and is that w- there's a common misconception, and it's come because because there has been a change over the years in in um, how the bunker is structured and how the referees department is structured. Um, is that the The bunker and our referees department are actually almost like two separate departments. They're two branches
1: of officiating virtually.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably the way they put it. Yeah, two branches. So um, they're actually both the bunker and the referees are, are managed separately by... Separate people, and yes, we interact in that. Obviously, on game day, we're talking to each other. And um, Jared Maxwell is the is the bunker manager and comes and sits in on on now uh, meetings like our Monday video meeting yesterday. And there's definitely is that that interaction, um, but we are separate.
1: Yeah, we're separate, and, and both those departments report up to Graham. Yeah. Graham, honestly. So yeah, it's it's two little branches to take. It's too much of a role for one person to have. Like if you're the um, in, in Bernie Sutton's role, if you're the the coach of the um, elite performance squad. Um, it's a lot of work then to, to run the bunker as well. So it's, it's, it's a separate job. Yep. Even though some of our guys do crossover as well. So some of our full-time officials work in the bunker as well. So there is some, like you said, there's yep. crossovers. But, but
0: they're judged. They're, they're, they're judged completely se- separate. They're different so roles. whatever they do in the bunker doesn't affect their on-field and whatever they do on-field doesn't affect what they do in the bunker because it's like having two separate jobs as if they worked at a different sort of company, I guess. That's just another question that we had from from listeners throughout the week. Um, So on that note, we'll move into some more uh, listener questions. We'll be able to get through a couple uh, today. Um, I've got them all here on the list and I'll start with one that I'll ask you, Gavin, because... uh, you've definitely had a lot more experience at this level than I have. Um, Are there times where you wish you weren't mic'd up?
1: Well, when I saw the list of questions, this was one that I was more than happy to answer. Yeah, there are. Um, I'm one of those guys who likes a bit of a chat and I'm I'm actually frightened. I can't believe that I've been around for so long and I haven't actually sworn on accidentally uh, yeah it's just mm-hmm. yeah accidentally sworn without thinking whether having have my foot trot on which happens a lot or whether it just be in conversation with a player off off camera um and it's something that you know being the, per- the type of personality i am it's something that i've got to really monitor a lot of what i say and how i say it down in the field because um yeah i do love a chat and yeah if there weren't mics on there i, well, I, I speak to some of the referees from you know way before i came into first grade when we didn't have the communications gear and and the the ability for them to interact and create rapport and, you know, have, have a little bit of a to and fro with players here and there. And, and and that's how they built that and, and got their respect where we we sort of lost that a little bit now, but on the flip side of that, it also keeps everyone in check as well. So it allows, you know, the players know that they can't, you know, go overboard with what they say to us because it's all recorded and it's going to come back on them. So, and also, you know, it, it keeps us in check as well. Make sure that I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not getting too loose on the field as, as I can sometimes.
0: Well, I guess what are, are those pros and cons? So overall, is it good that we're mic'd up, or do you think it would be better if we weren't?
1: Um, uh, I'm a bit of both. Um, I think it'd be better for me if we weren't. Um, I think over a long period of time, you know, a lot of my issues have been around communication and how I communicate on the field, uh, but. They are also those issues,
0: th- those issues don't necessarily go away just because it's not recorded. Then.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I know. But if it's not recorded, people don't know it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I can hide them. Um, but and and I, I think just yeah, that, that ability to, to be able to have a shot back here and there, and just you know, put some people in their place, we sort of lose that. And I know coming through refereeing in the lower grades, and, and, and especially refereeing in park footy, when I was coming through, that was something that I used a lot to to sort of either win players over or let players know that. You know, this this ain't acceptable. Um, I've just got to be a lot careful how I do that now. Mm. Um, so, you know, for me, if it's not there, that that makes my job. But the like I said, the other side of that is, it it's a factor when, especially if player comes at you aggressively, or even not aggressively, but just you know, with with, with poor language, and I just point to the microphone and that stops them in their tracks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it gives me that ability to be able to, without even saying anything, to, to have a player calm straight because straight away they think, oh, no, that's not going to look good yeah. if I come you know, come at the referee with news and profanity and stuff like that. So um, for that reason, I think it's good. And it's also as a coaching tool, I think having a microphone on is one of the best coaches, especially at lower grades, but even at, at the NRL level, it's one of our best coaching tools mm. where we can see what we say, how we say it, what we're seeing because – when we're making big decisions or there's multiple decisions, we talk about communicating and talking through the process. Um, so, be able to go back and listen to how we do that, it enables us to be better week in, week out. So, um, I think, well, like I said, I'm split. I think um, we'd be probably worse off if we didn't have it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. I think I think we need to be mic'd up for a number of the reasons which which you have have touched on. Um, and then another reason why I think at the NRL level. at at, at an elite level that we should be mic'd up is just from a a fan or viewer experience. Um, I don't know if people want to
1: hear my voice. No, I'm not necessarily
0: saying (laughs) you. I'm not not talking about hearing you, but it it gives you an insight into it it feels better. It feels like you're more immersed into the game when you can hear it. So there was a few weeks back... um, we were watching I don't know if I was watching one of your games or whether we were watching a game together or something and something was wrong with one of them I think it was a game in Townsville what was one of your games a few weeks back in Townsville and whatever the effect the effects might like the mics weren't working properly for the first about 10 or 15 minutes of the match so it was like you only heard the commentary and that was it and it was like just two like a couple of guys in a room talking and no, yeah so no effects mics on the field no referee calling tackle numbers talking to a ruck talking Crowd to noise the players in the background yeah and, and it's just the atmosphere of it just changes and i think so i think in terms of the nrl creating a product um i think the product is better when we have the mics yeah um and that i'm sure that that's um debatable but just yeah my my opinion there
1: there's a, there's another one here that you know gets asked a lot but you know by people's it's you know why why do we call players by numbers instead of names by names
0: instead of numbers so, yeah so,
1: sorry names instead of numbers it, in that's something that I, I know it irks a lot of old school people and it's like you know they should be calling us sir mm. or, or miss, and you know we should be calling them number number five or number seven mm.
0: um I disagree with that
1: yeah so so <laughs> so do i, but for for you, especially running touch lines in the n l at the moment and, and you know. If you had to call numbers, would it make your job harder than, yes. than names? Yeah.
0: Much, much harder. Um, being able, to, well, then you're looking at a player and then not just looking at, okay, who am I going to take? Um, oh, his name popped up today because he's, they've just ruled him out of origin. Say, a, a Matt Gillette. Um, I would look at Matt Gillette and go, well, that's Matt Gillette. But then I've got to process, okay, what, today, what number, he... what number is Matt Gillette wearing today?
1: Yeah.
0: And then get that number across to the... I guess it's a bit different as a touch judge because I guess you could tell the referee the player's name but then the same thing. The referee would then have to process, Who's oh, geez, team? what what number is is that player? So it makes it a lot easier. Um, in terms of building rapport with players, its I think it's a very old school mentality and very much a um, police officer, school teacher type mentality and um, to, to have that level of... almost like that level of authority where... When we speak like this, it it, it separates me from you, um, which is actually what we want to break down to an yeah. extent. When we're when we're refereeing, we want to be working with players, and we want players working with us. So to build that rapport, um, I think it's quite disrespectful. Can you? I, well, I couldn't see one of us going out this weekend to referee Cameron Smith in his 400th game and saying, "Number nine, come over here." Yeah, oh, it just it doesn't feel right. I think in a professional era. Um, when everyone knows who everyone is, I think names are the way to go. I think we also get a better response yeah, from that, players. Yeah, that's,
1: that's what I was going to go. For me, as a referee, if I call out number 12 compared to, you know, Cameron, mm. you're more likely to get a response from a name because everyone knows their name. Yeah. Not everyone knows what numbers on their back. Like, it, it may seem trivial, but, you know, firstly, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I'm 12.
0: Yeah. Like well, I see that happening on a regular basis, refereeing. Know, the, yeah, at Canterbury Cup level, where you can be yelling out, Ten, ten, you're offside. Ten, and then they make a tackle. and go, Oh, I didn't know I was wearing number ten. Yeah. Whereas if you knew the person's, if you called them by their name, pick a name. Yeah, yeah. Matthew, Matthew, and he stops, or you know, you're more that, likely to that, get that na- instant reaction. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because um, no one has to think. Yeah. Everyone knows their name. Yeah. You know, I mean, you hear your name. Um, the, the hard thing is when you've got two and three players of the same. Same name in the one team, and they're all around. And you yeah, call the name happen- on ten meters. What happens
0: when you've got um, or
1: kick chase? You yeah. call on kick chase, and you know Nathan, you're off. And then two blokes turn around and go, oh, yeah. which one?" What
0: happens like uh, on the ten meters with the Gold Coast? So when you'd have Tyrone Peachy um, would defend right next to Tyrone, Tyrone Roberts. Roberts. Yeah, they, de- they actually defend right next to each other. So you yell yeah. out either to them or you tell the referee. Tyrone, and then you've got to, oh, i have actually got to, so there are some teams and some players, you've got a double name. Yeah. You've got to make sure you say their, their full name, um, you know, but – I still think that
1: that's the way to uh, uh, go. But it only works at the NRL level. I wouldn't encourage it at any other no. level unless you knew every player's name from yeah. every team. Otherwise, if you know if you you call in two or three players from one team and and two or three from the other and no one, else. And no one from uh, no one else it, it doesn't look good. That's yeah. when you have to go all numbers except for the captains. Yeah. Except for the captains. I don't you know I don't Because then it can look disrespectful
0: captains. that you're talking to some, some players, players by their name the and some by some by their numbers. Yep. Um okay. Listener asked, have we ever thought about a four-touch judge model? Um, there are two parts to this. I'll, I'll answer the first bit first about the four-touch judges on the field. And
1: You've done it, have you?
0: Yeah, it's actually quite, quite interesting because I got to do this in a charity, charity shield. Um, shield match a number of years ago. In 2014 or 2015, um, we actually did this. So the way it worked would be that two-touch judges, so one on either side of the field, would always stay in line with the ruck while the other two touch judges, so one on either side of the field, always stayed in line with the 10 metres, so with the defending players. Um, so we yeah, we had a bit of a trial around that to see if it would help at all and if it would have any impact on potentially removing the second referee off the field or removing the video referee or not removing any of those things, just adding the extra touch judges. And what we really found was that it didn't create any um, real advantage um, by having those extra two touch judges there. There are odd scenarios where you can go, yep, someone ended up being in the right position, but there wasn't really um, much need. We sort of found there wasn't really much need for it. And then, and then it created even more confusion. And it actually created a lot of weird dynamics on the field where you would actually... Run into to each other it sounds, <laughs> sounds funny, but yeah. um, you know, just because of the move, movement patterns and the way the ball shifts and kicks and stuff like that, where you actually get in each other's road.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but then the second part to that question was that, or has the NRL thought about removing the second referee, so just having the one referee on the field and having the touch judge who's closest to to the referee mark the ten meters. So from what I can gain from that question, I'm assuming they're talking about the referee. Referring like old school, like over the rock.
1: Yes, And behind. just having
0: one touch judge.
1: Stay 10 metres Mark every time. the 10 metres. Too difficult.
0: I think that's too difficult. Well,
1: think- well, the reason you can't... Well, I'll just jump in. The reason yeah. you can't do that is because all you're going to do then is have a million penalties because you're going to have no one to be able to control players around you to pull mm. them back. Yeah. So for player's offside, what do you do? Yeah. So you'd automatically have to blow penalties. The Players aren't going to be onside every time. Yeah. And, you know, we work really hard to get compliance around... You know, by using our voice and that so if I'm on the other side of the ruck um, it would never work Yeah, it would never and work.
0: I think the other thing as well is that that means you've got a touch judge marking the 10 metres on this side of the field well what about the poor centre and winger or back row over the other side you've got of to the look field it was such a long way away to the referee to see where that distance is marked I, I don't think it would work
1: uh, it wouldn't work I know uh, it wouldn't work at all. compliance would be horrible
0: yeah. um, so as always we thank you for your for your listener questions and um C- continue to send them through or continue to add them to this list and we'll knock off a few more a few more each set but um that uh, each episode sorry each set. <laughs> <It's> it. <laughs> um, uh, but that's all we have time for today um this weekend we've got a big weekend of football we've got as mentioned just earlier Cameron Smith's 400th game which is amazing to see and then we've got um, Benji Marshall and Gavin Cooper also racking up 300, 300. games yeah um, outstanding
1: achievements and, and you know you talk about Cameron Smith someone who plays virtually 80 minutes every week and in the middle of the field it's 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 an amazing achievement and you know a little bloke like Benji when he come on the scene was a superstar and we lost him to our game for a little while and uh it was unfortunate um but he's come back and he's he's playing like he's 18 again so you know who knows how many he might rack up as well and 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 gavin cooper's just been a bit of a a, you know an unsung hero for a long time who's just been you know a workhorse wherever he's played so you know those guys i'm sure like we spoke before about family and and i'm sure they'll honor their family this weekend as well and and they'll you know, take all the rewards for, for the games but it's their family and, and friends that make the sacrifices for them to achieve that.
0: Yeah so plenty of exciting things happening in the game obviously tomorrow night with Origin and then um, big things happening this weekend to look forward to. So as always we'd like to encourage you to join our Facebook and Instagram pages our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating so give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL and if you are interested in Becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup.
1: Bye.